Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is C.M. Alexander with the news. Murder Most Foul has struck the community of Little Tall Island this week. Resident wealthy widow Vera Donovan was found dead in her home after falling down a flight of stairs. Her live-in caretaker, Dolores Claiborne, has been taken into custody under suspicion of foul play. Mrs. Claiborne, as she was being arrested, was overheard to say, This isn't the first time Vera's shit has hit the fan. You are listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Before we dive into this episode, I want to take a moment to let anyone who is not aware know that this book contains some really tough subject matter. I debated whether I'd include a trigger warning. We sometimes do that, but we also recognize that many of these books are well known, they've been out a while, and you're reading Stephen King, so maybe you're expecting some difficult stuff ahead. But when we came to the part about sexual abuse, I broke down. Even though I was expecting it and I had read and listened to it, my reaction seemed to come out of nowhere, which, duh, is a trigger. If that doesn't make sense to you or you see this as overly sensitive, count yourself lucky that you don't need trigger warnings. I cut that part out not because I'm ashamed and no one who has had this experience should be, but because I didn't want you guys to hear me snotting up in my mic. You'll know when it happens because, as I mentioned in the episode right after that, I added a transition. For anyone listening to the audiobook, you should recognize what this transition is referring to. For those of you reading, it'll probably sound as strange and out of place to you as it sounded to me in the audiobook. So to wrap things up, if you or someone you know is or has been a victim of sexual abuse, please talk to someone. The national hotline number is 1-800-656-4673. And I'll tell you what Josh and Ben told me, which you won't hear in the episode because I cut it. We love you. Now on to the show. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hello, constant readers. And today we are covering another patron pick by Michelle Devane, Dolores Claiborne. If you are following along with us, we are reading through page 151-ish. <laughs> yeah, I believe I read the 154. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, about there. So major spoilers ahead if you're not familiar with this. And we have Josh leading our discussion. I sure am. So you know what? Let's let's just talk about wh- what's weird about this book. Because usually we say we're reading to this chapter. Rarely do we say a page number. And that's because there are no chapters in this book. This book is entirely one side of a conversation going into it. How did you guys feel about that? Also, <laughs> I should ask, uh, I've never read this before. Have either of you read this before? Nope. Yes. Oh, okay. So and I've CM. seen the movie. All right. So I was not surprised and I apologize. I, I should make something up, like something queued up about my first experience reading it, but <laughs> I don't remember it. But this is my first time listening to it via audiobook. And it's interesting, that aspect of it, because it's very much, it's an interrogation, of course, so it's just her telling her story, and we don't get any other characters like we typically would, so she's Mm. not doing voices. So at first, that threw me off, and I had to remind myself, if you were in an interrogation, you wouldn't do a voice. (laughs) I mean, you might, but you shouldn't. Yeah. And... 
Also, there are sound effects in the audiobook for like when she asks for a drink, you can mm-hmm. hear his drawer opening, the tape recorder slide it over. Oh, oh, that's cool. And I'm not sure how I felt about that because when she's saying something to Frank or Andy or Natalie or whatever her name is, they don't say anything. So you get audio effects, but you don't mm-hmm. get the voices of the other people in the room. So it's like, I, I guess I kind of, I want it all or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of interesting though. I, I like that they tried that because given the format, this entire book is just a monologue. And so it's very easy for me to view this as a theater performance. Mm. In fact, I, I find it really interesting that you listened to the the audiobook CM. Josh, did you read or have you I'm been reading. listening? Well, I have had a different journey with the book because for whatever reason, I've been feeling really disconnected. I've been listening to audiobooks and having trouble like sitting down and reading. And so I wanted to actually get back to that with this book. But the only way I could get into it was by reading it aloud to myself. <laughs> so this entire book I read in my bedroom, pacing the the room, reading aloud as Dolores Claiborne. Oh my God, I'm That's amazing. I, I want to know the differences between <laughs> hearing Dolores in you know, the the actress's voice mm-hmm. versus the voice that I have invented uh, <laughs> in my head, which is just my own voice. But I, I will say she does a really good job. The only thing that throws me is that some of the voices she does, specifically the bank manager, which we'll get to, she gives everybody the same kind of like whiny quality. So <laughs> in the text, I would not read his comments as... She reads them, okay, and and that threw me a little bit. But I, I'm not going to like bitch about it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> now we get less than two full pages into this book before we are bombarded with uh, the information that CMU you alluded to that she is in an interrogation with three other people. Uh, she's being accused of murder, and she admits that 29 years ago she killed her husband, and then. She, this is a type of person I initially thought Dolores was because she's like, well, where should she gives this amazing bit of information? You're like, okay, tell me more. And she's like, hmm, where should I start? I could start at the (laughs) beginning. I could start at the end. Why don't I just start kind of in the middle and jump back and forth? And in my head, I'm like, I bet that they just brought her in to take a witness statement. (laughs) She's one of these older ladies who just keeps going and they're like but what do well no we're not uh, okay absolutely <laughs> Dolores Claiborne reminds me so much of my great grandmother uh, my <laughs> who was not from the the northeast uh but was in fact from Missouri but had the same just boisterous <laughs> like, fuck all attitude (laughs) that Dolores Claiborne has. Yeah. This reminded me of uh, The Outsider, the one interrogation when the lady's like, I'll get to my story as I get to my story. Back off. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that despite there being no other characters, you get characterizations of the other people in the room. Yeah, the one cop loves to pick his nose. (laughs) Ever since he was a child, he's loved to pick his nose. Oh, Nancy, that's her Nancy, name. yeah. Mm-hmm. From Kennebuck. 
<laughs> and everybody knows that uh, Andy Bissett has a bottle of Jim Beam in his desk. I, I like how she leveled the playing field with them right away, too. At least yeah. that's what I assumed she was doing. Mm-hmm. She kind of puts them in her in their place. So it wasn't it's not so much about her she, being, yeah, at a disadvantage. She's like, you used to pick your nose. I've seen you in your diapers. <laughs> a disadvantage. That is exactly right. She is in control yes. of this situation she is she is starting off in she's this interrogating herself exactly <laughs> this she should be in the low power position in this in this interrogation and not for a second do we think that she is not the one completely leading this entire bit i also wanted to say that this opening bit what you said about the characterization of the other the the cops in the room it's a great way to show the setting yes. of the book because it takes place on this little tall island, right? Yep. I forget because it sounds like a Super Mario 64 level. <laughs> <laughs> but it, by her just immediately being like, I have known you since you were in short pants, Andy Bissett, really immediately puts you in the place of the small town. I'm sorry. I just realized you reading this aloud to yourself has made you remember the character first and last full name. Oh my name. god, yeah. Wow. I didn't even remember his last name. <laughs> I, did. I didn't mean to completely derail your thoughts. I just I wanted to give you credit. No, for that. this does need uh <laughs> memorializing <laughs> on the podcast. Anyway, I, I ju- was just wanted to get you guys' uh take on the the setting of our of the book i went back and forth about how i i I imagine it i imagined it first in an interrogation room but as we we talk about him uh, andy at his desk now i I sort of like they made it feel a little less formal how i have Mm -hmm. it imagined like it's in his office and it's Everybody is a little uh, spread out with her in the center as though they're using his office in the same manner as an interrogation. I I kept picturing the whole time I'm in this book, I'm picturing a combination of Midnight Mass because that's the most recent island thing mm. I've seen <laughs> and Colorado Kid. Yes. Yeah. That is what I was thinking. And that kind of vibe time. and feel of that that island community and you have sort of the people from quote away. And I just I kind of love it. It's mm-hmm. a really cool feel. It, it It's so easy to imagine them even this interrogation taking place as informally as the discussion in Colorado Kid. Yeah. Of them mm-hmm. just being in the police station, not really, you know, away in an interrogation room, just like sitting drinking coffee. It's great. Mm-hmm. Where Nancy is probably the most professional person in the room because she's from away. Yeah. Of the the other little tidbits that we get about Dolores's life from this jump, that we find out that she has three kids, Selena, Joe Jr., and Little Pete, who are uh, 15, 13, and 9, respectively, at the time of Joe's death, I believe. Which yes. was years ago. Years ago. 30 years ago, yeah. I think. And yeah. she says, basically, he left us with nothing but uh, junk and debt. And so you already get uh, mm. an image of what this home life was. Did you guys picture Joe as Roland LeBay? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I did too, a little bit. I pictured him as Henry Bauer's dad. <sighs> I imagined him as, CM, maybe you will remember the actor's name, a movie we just watched the other day called Bingo Hell. 
the villain. Oh, <laughs> yes, and I don't. I I don't remember the actor's name. That guy has too much charisma to be Joe. <laughs> yeah, but he no, just has just that like slimy quality, you yes. know? Yeah, he feels... Ugh. I feel like I'm jumping around when it's actually Dolores jumping around as we <laughs> cover this conversation because as CM said, we, she starts in the middle of the story. After she explains to Nancy because she's the only one who doesn't know... Which I also love that when she's like, I killed my husband. Don't act shocked. You, everybody in this room but Nancy knew that. Um, then we we are introduced to Vera a little bit. Would either of you care to describe Vera a little bit? Vera is Dolores's lifetime companion. They Slash are, arch enemy. They <laughs> are sisters from another mother. Besties forever who hate each other. <laughs> It's weird. No, I actually really love their relationship because it's these two older women who have this kind of, I don't know if I'd call it fragile, if if I would call it really strong. They have this understanding Mm -hmm. and they share a bond because despite the drastic class difference between them, their lives are very much the same. And I, I kept thinking about that as we were learning about Vera because she is, you know, where Dolores is this small island girl who doesn't come from much, who's just about hard work and and doesn't really think doesn't really think beyond that, just aspires mm-hmm. to like take care of her family and and get the job done. Vera is from money or married into money, one or the other. Mm-hmm. And she but she's also just as much a hard ass as Dolores. And has the added personality quirk of being just borderline crazy she's i i love the description of her having three ways of being a bitch which i thought was really cool i also really appreciated vera's character is probably one of the few instances that you hear of someone who is from away being accepted by the people there even if they fucking hate her as truly an island person like even though she is from away she belongs to the island it is very important to her and she understands the life and so that's kind of a unique aspect to vera that i think makes the reader accept her a little more because she is described as kind of an awful person Mm -hmm. yeah she she married i i I believe she was always rich just because I feel like that attitude has always been hers. I I only mention that because there's a part where Dolores is thinking about how kind of obsessive compulsive Vera is with Mm. certain cleaning duties. And she describes it as she wouldn't be surprised if Vera herself had experienced all that backbreaking housework. And that's kind of why she's very particular about the ways that she does it. And that's why I assumed maybe she married into money. But she yeah, she could come from money. That makes sense. So Vera and her husband bought this summer home on the island and Dolores had been the summertime housekeeper since 1950 when they first got it. But at this point, we just know that her husband died. There was a rift in her family and Vera became a permanent resident of that household and it stopped being just a summer getaway. We we get so much in, and I feel like we're 10 pages in <laughs> uh, because all there's so much this info dump that happens. And then after the info dump, they kind of let the stories breathe a little bit. The uh, as you mentioned to her, several ways of being mean. I, the, she also says that being mean was like her hobby. <laughs> uh, and and we know we've talked about this before that Dolores Claiborne was written basically for Kathy Bates after mm. her portrayal in Misery. 
So I also can't help but think of Dolores Claiborne as a well Annie. <laughs> this is going to sound mean. The Gollum aspect of Annie, the Annie Wilkes through and through. You mean her strength? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that uh, that power that makes her different. They're both hard women, mm-hmm. but one is also a very loving, compassionate woman who we come to find out because she describes herself as this sort of, you know, foul-mouthed, foul-tempered person. <laughs> she is not. Well, one thing that they have in common, and and while I agree that Dolores is at heart a good person and, and kind and all of that, they have in common rage. Mm. Because Dolores will get to it. But she has that same, like... The the she describes it as like the ability to be as hard as you need to. Okay, for as much shit I think as we good natured shit as we have sometimes given King for how he writes women. Something we talked about in Rose Matter too. He has insight into a woman's rage that is spot on. Mm-hmm. That third eye opening thing mm-hmm. that is real. And so when you say she has rage, I don't. Think of it as as something, I don't know, how am I trying to say this? I don't feel like that is her, like she's a rageful person. I mm-hmm. feel like that situation is the only something like that could make her be rageful like that. Like where, yeah. whereas Annie could be well, anything. Yeah, the, the difference is that Dolores's rage is 1000% justified. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, this story... The first real conflict we get is the shit wars. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> which, uh, as CM, you, you discussed earlier, Vera being very particular about the cleaning. You know, she even uses binoculars to make sure they're beating the rugs the right way. And you have to use six clothespins and not four. And as she's gotten older, she has become less well and more bedridden and at the time of her death in those past few years she was almost fully in her bed and Mm. Dolores had to bring her a bedpan so she could do her business and we get a lot of time about Vera's shit savings account. I didn't hate it the way I hated all of it in Dreamcatcher (laughs) it's more like adult somehow maybe because it's not dudes I don't know I could be totally biased here well it's it serves a purpose though it serves a purpose and to say one thing as someone who works Mm -hmm. in a similar field uh as a caretaker it is pretty real is it about control typically like i mean like it is for vera or i mean no uh that's something i wanted to talk about is because uh, okay let's just talk about what What it is we're talking about (laughs) vera Uh, Every Thursday, which is cleaning day, shits herself on purpose. It becomes this tug of war of uh, Dolores trying to catch her in the act soon enough that she can get it cleaned up. Mitigate the damage. Yes. (laughs) But also waiting long enough to to catch her. Yeah, that it's in progress. Yeah, she's got to start. Yeah, if she catches her too soon, she won't do it because she's... It's intentional. She wants to make a mess. Yes. So what I guess I mean by it's very realistic, this Mm -hmm. portrayal, is it's very realistic, the frustration Mm -hmm. that Dolores feels. 
feels very real as someone who has had to scrub shit off of the floors before a lot. It can be very frustrating. That said, Dolores's insistence that this is a a um, deliberate bid for control. It is. <laughs> but that's not an excuse, you know, for Dolores to manhandle the Vera around <laughs> after she uh, she stands up on the bed and shits everywhere. everywhere. Oh, it's on the curtains. It's on the light bulb. Yeah. Oh, it's just interesting. I, I like this part because it adds a really unique element to the rest of the story and their relationship mm. and just helping us understand why they're so close, even though it's so difficult. And it makes... I don't know. I guess it gives more weight to Vera's character as someone who kind of has this power mm. in their relationship. The I think that it's, man, seeing how Vera ends up not realizing later that we're going to get a more fierce Vera as as we hear about what happens earlier in Dolores's life. That is really it was really interesting to me. The thought of this sounds horrible this back and forth mm. and i mean we're talking about she's racing up the stairs to try to catch her and dolores is not a spring chicken mm -hmm. like her back is in constant pain all the time so all of this is all of it's frustrating top to bottom and i kept having that thought of why would you keep doing this like what because some of it is about yes the consistent work and, and all of that mm -hmm. but another part of it is that relationship and i kept thinking god what could happen between these people that you would put up with that yeah. and yeah. then so it's cool to see vera become that person that i'm like oh i see it that is it, what shows us dolores's true character mm -hmm. i believe is because if she left which she says you know Throughout the years, of course, she thought about leaving. She would spend nights crying because of just the pure spite and meanness of what Vera do is doing. It, I completely lost my train of thought. I, I think I know you're going with that. It's interesting because she she does talk about that. And she, before we understand fully their relationship, she like almost makes up reasons that don't quite make sense. Because she's like, well, mm. who else would do it? If yes. I'm not there to take her out of her chair and put her by the window, she's going to lay in bed all day. And she's always said mm -hmm. that's the one thing that would drive me crazy. It would drive anybody crazy. Mm -hmm. So it seems like just this like really good, kind-hearted thing, but it's deeper than that in, in a cool way. Yeah. Not to discount her kind-heartedness because I think there is an element for her that she would just do it because I can't let someone suffer like that. Mm -hmm. I we also, I cannot believe we spent so much time talking about the setup and the interrogation. We didn't say why she's in interrogation. Oh yeah, Vera's <laughs> dead. Vera was found dead at the bottom of her stairs, uh, an accidental fall down the stairs, which is, an accident was also the way that her husband died. <laughs> it's gotta be and the hunky. <laughs> right? That, that character I consistently forgot existed, and every time she mentioned it, I was like, who? The, the, he, he, and this character has not been introduced in the story yet, <laughs> as to the point where I read. But there is occasionally Dolores will just drop a reference to the her and the hunky. The hunky. And she I'm uses like, that to describe a few different men because she references Joe, uh, the something me and the hunky used to whatever. Oh, was it's, that? I, I thought it was a term for your man 
partner because oh, she mentioned. Oh, I thought it was a person. Yeah, I thought it was no, a person. No, because too. she also says he sometimes, <laughs> like earlier in the story, I mean earlier in the timeline, he would. Uh, she hinted to the fact that Vera would use him for some other stuff sure. sometimes, but he'd always stay in his own place at the end of the night. Okay. Because uh, she referred to like three different men as that, including Joe. And I was like, is this an island slang? Or- <laughs> it could okay. Be. That makes so much more sense because I really was <laughs> treating it as like a big mystery <laughs> of like, who's the hunky? When's the hunky kind of come into play? He's like the driver or, you know, just the man help. Some gotcha. man help. <laughs> now the last thing I want to talk about Vera at her uh, at her end uh, before we move on to the rest of Dolores's life the dust bunnies. Mm. CM, do you want to tell us about the dust bunnies? I'm gonna try. <laughs> I'm not sure I can because it's so strangely scary mm-hmm. that yeah. I feel like I don't understand what it is. So Dolores is describing. The three ways to be a bitch. (laughs) So she's saying at some point she came on full time and she basically like stays at this house all the time. And she takes care of Vera in the evening too during the middle of the night if something happens. And there are occasions where I think it's during bad weeks because Vera is not always sharp Mm -hmm. that she'll just be woken up to horrible screams of terror. Some more terrifying than others and she'll come up and vera is screaming about like these wires and so it's gotten to the point where dolores knows exactly how to handle it she takes a broom and a dustpan and she non-existent you know sweeps up all of these things these wires and dust bunnies that are coming and then she'll show her this empty dustpan and say i got them all see and it's the quality in which this scene is described is more scary than it Mm -hmm. should be it's it is i think there's another one coming up but it is the stephen king moment of this first part (laughs) for me it's why is it so scary yeah it's she it's the confusion and uncertainty that she feel that she (laughs) describes this scene with because and the the sadness too because you don't know at this point it just seems like the delusions of a a sad old woman who is you know uh, dealing with dementia but the fear and the like legitimate unease that Mm -hmm. Dolores talks about this with makes you uncertain of that when she sees something herself too she she has a dream she she goes to bed and she has a dream that she goes up into Vera's room and sees these human heads made of dust mm-hmm. that begin crawling across the floor. <laughs> oh, so cool. And she knows that if it, it reaches her, that it'll eat her. And she wakes up, and in the the narration of the book, she talks to the cops, and she's like, do you think... It's almost like she put the idea... Yes. She She <laughs> transferred... Fear into into me. Do you think that that is possible? And yeah, that's what a thought is. (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing. Because Vera Hmm. told her about something and then she remembered and thought about it later. That's amazing. I understand what she's saying. Yes. (laughs) Fair enough. 
We trail away from Vera and she starts to reminisce about Joe and his smooth ass forehead. (laughs) This transition was very jarring to me (laughs) because she's telling the story about Vera and she's been talking a really long time about her shitting herself. And then just suddenly she's like, and sometimes she saw monsters. Okay, time to talk about how I killed my husband now. It is tough listening to her talk about getting married for all the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. There's so much regret about who she was when she made the decisions to marry Joe, even though at the time he was not the monster he became. And the, the sincerity of hearing her talk about Joe's, what do you call it, his home correction, mm. the that abuse, that she, it, it was so natural that it, it, it was such a, a common thing to give it a cute name instead of calling it domestic violence. The, her talking about growing up with home correction and even the word, yeah. it's such a, you know, we just read it so it's such a you know i've got to teach you a lesson talk Mm -hmm. to you up close it's a a norman thing a tom thing it's those phrases that make me want to kill a man just to feel good again (laughs) her explaining she you know was a little girl and her dad came home from working hard whatever and dinner wasn't on the table and he's like to her mom hey dummy where's my supper and takes her head in his hand and just shoves her it doesn't like punch her or anything but just a uh, very just belittles the shit out of her and then goes outside like it's all he could do to keep himself from throttling her goes outside and sits down and her mom sort of collapses and puts her arms over her chest and her head in her dish towel and just sobs and it's interesting because Dolores is describing this as Maybe my dad thought he had to teach her a lesson. Maybe she needed it. I don't know. I'm not going to judge either of them for this moment. Things were different back then. And I was starting to get super fucking pissed. And then she was like, but that doesn't mean that it was right or that I have to deal with it. And I was like, thank you. That is the fundamental issue with this topic in our society because we never take it that that next step to say, yes, of course, we acknowledge that times were different and people accepted things that they shouldn't have accepted, but they did. And so we recognize it's a different type of behavior and we can think about it or even treat it differently, but it doesn't mean it was ever okay. Right. Why can't we be critical enough to have that second thought? So I, I really did appreciate that part about the domestic violence. Yeah, 100%. We, if, if that wasn't bad enough, we find out that Joe also goes to AA so that he can get work by he's not an he he still drinks when he goes to AA but he uses the chip to get work. Is he an alcoholic? She says he's not. I um I don't think we're given enough evidence to determine whether he okay. is. I think he might be a drunk. I I grappled with that. I I kept thinking I don't I don't know. She anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, let's talk about the last time Joe hits her because it is it starts in motion things that I did not realize the domino effect this would eventually set off. It is an immensely hard subject and they handle it very realistically painfully realistically i would say i'm i'm gonna keep what you two just said in and i'm I'm just gonna explain (laughs) that we had a brief detour because i've mentioned on this podcast i have been 
sexually abused as a child, not by my dad. My dad's awesome. Any man I'm ever complaining about is not my dad or my husband. But, uh, you know, I, I only want to admit that because I know other people have gone through it and we shouldn't have to hide it or feel shame about it. This book was hard for me to read in certain parts, so I had to take a brief break. That's kind of why this might be a little bit disjointed in editing unless I do something really cool later <laughs> to it. I don't know. Now that I said that, I might have to. You're, I feel like you're absolutely <laughs> going to because you can't help yourself. So if I sound upset, sorry, guys. No, <laughs> I'll do nothing my best. to be sorry about. Yeah. So I don't even remember what started this fight, but Joe takes a, a block of wood and hits her across the kidneys. Didn't she laugh about something? It wasn't anything that started yeah, yeah. the fight. He had I, and some that's, yeah. shitty, dumb excuse. Yeah. Uh, and it's... Oh, so, he split his pants or something? At some point, he split his pants and he she laughed she at him. She just chuckled. She wasn't yeah. laughing at him like, you dumb piece of shit. She was just like, ha, ha, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the natural response hit her with wood across the kidneys. So hard that she had to have Selena come down and like turn down the water on the mm-hmm. pot of boiling Whatever. I would have just dumped it on his head. (laughs) (laughs) Small aside, this is also where we find out that Joe Jr. is now the majority Senate leader of the main state Senate. (laughs) All right. It is completely unimportant to the story so far. It's so weird. I just felt it needed to be mentioned. Sorry, this is about this part, but also kind of ahead. When she's reflecting on how angry she is with Joe now and later. Did this remind you guys of Rosie? Her rage? At the at the end with Bill, when I mean, it's a different situation because Bill wasn't being a piece of shit, mm-hmm. but just that nearly uncontrollable. Yeah, that the the moment where she is it's not for a bit, but she is forcing down her urge to murder him <laughs> on yeah. the spot. Yeah. Is very like that that moment in Rose Re- uh, Rose Matter. Rose Matter not Rose Red, (laughs) where she has that vision of, like, what, murdering Bill in the kitchen Mm -hmm. uh, before realizing that it was a fake out. (laughs) Dolores grabs a creamer pitcher, blindsides him with it, shattering it across his face. Not just that. This is hours later. Yeah. After dinner and... She has, (laughs) like... the kids are in bed. Because she has been in pain, Mm -hmm. like, doubled over in pain the whole night. So she waits for the kids to go to bed and then absolutely beams him up the side of the head with uh, a ceramic pot. Yeah. And And she has a hatchet in her other hand. (laughs) Which, good, good call. (laughs) (laughs) We... Find uh, Selena wakes up and like pokes her head out and sees this and Dolores tells her to go back to her room and then stands there while Joe's holding his ear and she's holding the hatchet and no one moves or does anything till they hear the door close. Mm -hmm. And at which point Dolores hands him the hatchet essentially and is like, you like no, nothing happens after this. Well, she because she calls his bluff. He yeah. threatens her, and she's like, "Well, here you go, man. Yeah. Just make it quick. Game and on. Don't let the kids see." And she shuts her eyes. Dolores yeah. does such an amazing job at making Joe look like the unbelievable piece of shit that he is yeah. at every stage of this book. Even when you you mentioned it, his very smooth forehead. <laughs> is possibly the best burn I've ever heard in literary history. 
because she she is takes a minute to talk about how it's a love it was a loveless marriage and she's thinking back and she's trying to remember love in her relationship and literally the only thing that she can think of is he had a very smooth forehead that's such a fucking mad burn. <laughs> I didn't think about that. You were totally right. This, the, of all the things I can say about this man, the only good thing I can think of is, is uh, something so fucking inconsequential. That's a, oh, yeah, that's I also hadn't <laughs> thought of it that way. And so after she smashes him over the side of the head, she's like, if you ever fucking touch me again, I will kill you. And he says, well, I'll just kill you first. And she fucking turns the hatch around and hands it to him. And it sh- it's such a masterful way of her handing his ass to him, of mm-hmm. saying, you're a fucking coward. You aren't going to do shit. There's it's a- awesome. There's a small aside here where we're back where she's addressing the people in the room and there's a quote I wanted to read because I think it's great where she tells them a coward is more afraid of being discovered than he is of anything else, even dying. Yeah. And that is so so perfect. There are so many good lines, so many good quotes in this book. There are a few lines that made me put the book down. (laughs) I I had to like sit and think about it. You had to applaud your own performance. Exactly. I I took a bow in my my bedroom. (laughs) So here's where we start getting into the tough subject matter. As Selena gets older, she, uh, Dolores remarks that Joe began to turn her more to his side than hers, uh, was slowly kind of stealing her away. She noticed that he was talking to the, I wrote this down, uh, talking to her like when he was courting Dolores. And when that phrase happened, my stomach dropped so hard. The the second, really, that she goes from talking about why she killed her husband and saying, you know, it's not for the reasons that most people mm-hmm. think. Most people thought that I killed him because he was a drunk and he beat me. But he wasn't really, and he didn't that much. The second she goes from that to talking about her daughter, I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no. When she mentions Selena's pretty. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, there's a lot of foreshadowing. Yeah. And I think, isn't it within a few months after this incident that she notices Selena's not, not, you know, mean or disrespectful, but cold towards her. She always does what she asks her to do. She's, you know, she's a good girl, but she's just not close to her. She won't talk to her unless she has to like drag information out of her. Then Dolores kicks herself for not picking up on a lot of these signs earlier. Now this book was published in 93. I, I'm wondering if, this was something that took readers at the time longer to get or if we latched onto those clues faster because we are from an era that it talks that addresses these things a little more openly and it acknowledges these warning signs i don't know what did you guys take on that i think that's fair i i imagine that because i think a lot of mothers just can't imagine something like this happening and it's only in hindsight that you recognize like real red flags that are like, fuck, how did I miss that? Mm-hmm. It was staring me right in the face. So yeah, the acknowledging the prevalence of it and talking about it, I think, helps us pick up on those things. Dolores finally takes action, takes all this into her own hands. She takes the ferry over to catch Selena at school. Well, because she's noticing, too, that she's um, dressing differently, mm-hmm. wearing baggy clothes, not washing her hair or her face is pimply. She's... It, going through something. it is yeah. all just a laundry list of signs yes. that yeah. 
bad stuff's going down. And uh, to her surprise, Selena's actually kind of happy to see her when she Not shows up at her school. in the boys' room. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what she thought. And they, let's talk about the fairy ride home because the fairy ride home is so emotional and it's so beautifully written. I mean, this whole section is so uh, emotionally heightened. It's so sad when she gets to the school and mm-hmm. sees Selena because she's sitting alone and she thinks about how uh, a girl her age should be out with her friends and talking about boys and all that. And she just looks so sad. And when she she is happy to see her mom, it's even more sad that like she's been so alone lately. And once they get onto the ferry and the conversation begins, it is all, like you said, so well-written and it feels so real. You can feel the connection between mm-hmm. these two. It, it feels, and I believe me, I know uh, a lot about mother-daughter uh, <laughs> relationships, but it, it feels very real. You can feel the, like, caring and the worry that Dolores feels the uh, this is a perfect depiction of sometimes you have to be cruel to be kind because Selena fights opening up to her Mm -hmm. and Dolores like very consistently but very lightly pushes it and even to the point that says we'll ride the we're not getting off this ferry until you tell me everything we'll ride this ferry all goddamn night I don't care I'm here for you Tell me from start to finish. Don't leave anything out. I won't interrupt. Let it out. She has good instincts when she finally realizes it's it's not the typical things. And then she's sort of like, fuck, I wish it was. You know, I'm. Yeah. it's a sadder thing that she didn't find her, you know, smoking pot in the bathroom or something or making out with a boy. And it's Selena fights her physically, too. Yeah. She slaps her. She calls her a bitch. She doesn't. Because we find out she is terrified of her mother. She has been made to fear her and feel nothing but fear and shame about what's been going on. And when she asks her mom a question, Dolores almost plays like she doesn't quite know what she means. And then she realizes she's saying in the interrogation, I knew. I don't know how I knew, but I just knew that if I wasn't honest in that moment, I would lose her. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's such a good bit of writing yeah and uh, as i said this is the the domino effect we've tiptoed around it joe has been molesting selena everything but actually having sex with her is what she reveals the frankness that the book speaks about this was shocking because we just finished it and there is a lot of this same subject matter in it between beverly and her father But they never just come out and say anything. And there are some things that Dolores, the fact that she can even express the thoughts is. Dolores says the word pussy and it threw (laughs) me so hard. (laughs) Yeah. And but it's so it was so important to be so clear uh, be, that because what Selena is going to have to say is so much more explicit feeling mm-hmm. to have to tell yeah. another person. Mm-hmm. The and Selena explains it. It pretty much all began with the night with the hatchet. She 
she made her she promised herself she would if she could make her dad happy after that because he was being hurt by this mean woman according to the way he told the story mm-hmm. he once he knew he got his hooks into pulling her close to his side he just consistently mm-hmm. chipped away at her until he'd gotten her to a point that she didn't think she could turn back he groomed her yeah absolutely he he used the situation because from selena's perspective all she saw is her mom hurting her dad and she only got one side of the story yeah and it's the way that one moment you know dolores talks about the tragedy of i just didn't want him to hit me anymore and i had no idea what the effects of that would be Mm -hmm. although Honestly, I mean, Joe would have found a reason to molest Selena yeah, with or without absolutely. that. That was going to happen. Yep. That he That's is a pedophile. Another hard criminal. part about this is all of the guilt that Dolores very clearly feels through her narration. And we, the reader, obviously know, obviously it's not her fault. Mm-hmm. Even she knows, obviously, that it's not her fault. But, like, the guilt of not realizing that this was happening sooner is just so palpable and tragic. Another thing, this book that is it's so great. We go from something so horrifying as this conversation. And Dolores tells Selena, I'm going to confront him. This is happening. I promise this will be okay. I but you just trust me. So they get home. They send all the kids away. Can I? I'm sorry. Can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. The, the bit where Selena basically just wants everything to go back to normal and is afraid that her dad will be mad at her mm. is heartbreaking because oh, yeah. it, she's been manipulated and she's a kid. And that's really is what she wants. She just wants to act like none of it ever happened and move on. And you can't. Yeah. Um, Dolores refers to Joe at this point uh, with my favorite burn, the Grand High Pooba of Upper Butt Crack. Nailed him. A fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking got him. Um, I felt like at first throwing kind of a joke in there jarred me. But I was kind of grateful. (laughs) I didn't take it as a joke at all as much as it was just that's Dolores's way of speaking that's true and she has such a, as as someone with the voice of dolores claiborne <laughs> um she she has such a distinct voice and she's colorful it is it is shocking that at no point in this did i ever roll her up roll my eyes at her roll her eyes yeah, I, ben i love n- this <laughs> he really embodied wow. her i am dolores claiborne <laughs> method (laughs) (laughs) but at no point did i ever like roll my eyes Mm -hmm. at at her like folksy way of speaking this is something that i really love that i I really want to get into because we kind of touched on it earlier Uh, she thinks real hard about murdering him right here and now even before she confronts him Mm -hmm. but then she realizes that if she does it she'll go to jail who does that help and at that point, she would be killing him because she felt foolish that he got one over on her. He, she wouldn't be doing it to protect those kids. Yeah. And yeah. that's when we get that first, uh, I believe that's when we get the first uh, inner eye yeah. opening. For anybody who hasn't read it, how would you describe that inner eye? That inner rageful eye? As I, I'm sure guys have this, but it feels the way King writes it, it feels so uniquely feminine to me for some reason. Is, is it just me? 
No, I, I, not that I have the, the most. I mean, you are Dolores. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the, there's this line here that she describes this eye opening. She, she, it's this inner focus on Joe. All she can see in her inner eye is his face and how fucking ugly he is and how awful he is. And she says, I knew that this was not going to go away until he was dead. And I'm going to try and get this quote right because it is the best quote in the book so far. It's such, it it made me gasp, this (laughs) line did. This anger, it was like love in reverse or Mm -hmm. something along those lines. But it made me go, Oh, it like it felt like getting punched in the chest <laughs> to to have that level of anger described that way is so real and fantastic. So Dolores confronts Joe and really comes at him direct and says, "Keep your hands off of Selena," and he goes ghost white and tries to deny it, and she doesn't even let him get out a fake defense. And just lays into him that, you know, this is never going to happen again. Uh, If I so much as catch an inkling that you're thinking about it, I will murder you in your sleep. (laughs) Do you understand me? And man, and then the he he agrees and then kind of laughs at her a little bit and says something to the effect of you think, you know, everything. And that was haunting. So. Dolores realizes that she the best action she could take is to get the kids and get the fuck out. Mm. Makes perfect sense. The all three kids have a college fund at the bank, so she knows everybody's going to be busy. No one's going to keep an eye on her. Dolores goes to the mainland, goes to the bank, only to find out all of the accounts have been emptied. This part's really cool because it it again pulls in that element of I, I loved the the theme of this, that patriarchy, because when she goes there and she tries to she comes with her her checkbooks or her uh, whatever the bank books, the bank books. And she's like, I don't see a withdraw. Come to find out he lied and said that they lost the books. So they issued him new ones so that she wouldn't see. And she keeps the key for it around her neck, which is like a sign. That's some, you're ignoring a red flag if you (laughs) feel like you have to keep this key around your neck. So she knows that he couldn't get in to get these. So she was really confident that the money was there. But yeah, he lied to open up new accounts. He withdrew everything. And of course, she's not on those new accounts. And the there's this little, you know, she describes this little neat man sitting across from her, the bank manager, and she's basically begging him. She's like, I need to know if he spent the money. Does this money still exist? And he thinks about it and she thinks that he's not going to help her. And she's having these very reasonable but uncharitable thoughts about him Mm. as this is going on. And then he's like, "Okay, meet me at this coffee shop in 45 minutes. And they meet and he tells her that the money is still there. It's like $500 less, I think, than than what she had saved all of it except $500. And she made him put that in there and he threw a big freaking fit about it. So it's actually her money that mm-hmm. she worked for that she was saving up for their kids. And it's really irritating. And she gets this guy to help her by saying, because he didn't do anything illegal because both parents were on there. But she's like, you know, you never called me to confirm any of this or talk about it. And I bet you if the money had been there and I had withdrawn this, as soon as I left, you would have called my husband Mm. to let him know. 
Absolutely. So now she knows that he has spent some of the money, but not all of it. So she has to act fast. She has to do something, but she doesn't know a way she can be rid of him. And it turns out that Vera is the person who gives her the inspiration because we find out that uh, Vera's husband died in a car accident. And the reason her kids aren't around anymore is people heard them get into a big fight uh, at a restaurant and the kids were yelling something about cars. Mm -hmm. And that's when Vera started spending more time at the house. So it's a month after the bank scenario and Vera's showing her Vera's very excited because the solar eclipse is going to be coming and she shows her this article and she's very happy about it. And Dolores has a full on sobbing breakdown sitting on Vera's bed well, while Vera's just knitting. She spent months trying to sleep next to this horrible yeah. monster who's mm. been abusing their daughter. And and she's not like super confident that he's not going to try to harm her again. Yeah. So she hasn't been sleeping and it sucks and it's horrible. And yeah, she finally breaks down. And and this is why all the stuff about how awful Vera is is really cool. Because in this moment, these women are united. And Vera really does help her. She basically does so genuine. to her what, what Dolores did for Selena. And she's like, you're just going to tell me exactly what happened, start to finish, what is going on with you. Because she also has never seen Dolores cry. She's like, mm. I didn't even think you could cry. <laughs> <laughs> And she, after she gets done giving her like this pep talk, she's like, I'm going to go downstairs and make some tea. You pull yourself together because you can't change my sheets if you're sitting on the bed. <laughs> uh, so, but before she leaves the room, Vera turns back and uh, she leaves Dolores with some food for thought. And uh, CM, I would like you to share with us what, what just the the food for thought that Vera leaves her with. Okay. So she's explaining if he really means to screw Selena, he's going to do it. And she's like, but sometimes men, especially drinking men, do have accidents. They fall downstairs, they slip in bathtubs, and sometimes their brakes fail and they run their BMWs into oak trees when they're hurrying home from their mistress's apartment in Arlington Heights. Super specific, Vera. That's a very specific hypothetical, Vera. And she's like, I'm going to go downstairs and have pie. You need to make my bed. Join me for some pie when you're done. <laughs> So that night, Dolores gets home. Selena's left her a note that she's not there. And in that time alone, Dolores says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to I'm going to kill Joe and I'm going to make it look like an accident. That's the only way she can get the money. Yeah. And this is I love that we check back into the overall story here where uh, she specifically tells Andy, the sheriff, what I'm about to tell you, Selena can never know any of this. Mm -hmm. You have to swear to me. She can. You. She'll never find out. On their property is an old dried up well that had been covered up and Dolores went out looking for it. And the boards are very soft and almost they gave a little bit when she stepped on it looking for it. So it's very hard to see. She knows this is how I'm going to do it, but I have to wait because Selena, it has to be long enough that Selena will never suspect I had anything to do with this because if she even has an inkling this was a caused accident. Again, I'll lose her forever. And the bank manager. We, and, we need to put some distance between yeah. that conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then there's the natural problem. They don't live in the middle of nowhere. They live on a busy street. They have neighbors. Someone could see. So all of these things have to wait. But she has to spend the next while hoping every day that he wouldn't come after Selena or spend all the money. And 
that is the situation where we leave Dolores in part one with waiting. God, it's so horrible (laughs) and good. (laughs) And that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next episode where we will be finishing the book. For Joshua Khan and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, running won't solve your problems if you've been hurt bad enough. Wherever you run, you take your head and heart with you, after all. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Dolores Claiborne Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public. If you haven't already, check out our Etsy store for cool merchandise, including dairy-specific merch and Stephen King merch. And don't forget, we release bonus episodes on our Patreon every month, sometimes more, and we also release episodes early there from time to time. So be sure to check that out. You get access to all the bonus content at our $5 and up tier. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.